0: This is To The Point, a rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services, marketing, and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point.
1: Hey, hey, listeners. It's the host of To The Point, Chris Yano, along with my co-host, Mr. Tall Paul Redman. Hey, buddy. Looking good in that little fly rhino. Uh, What is that? Like One of those Nike... um, dry fit, long sleeve. like What is that?
0: Yeah, this is a uh, custom basketball warm-up jacket because every day is game day. And being a former athlete in air quotations, I like to feel like I'm walking on the court when I walk into the office. So that's what you're looking at here, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for observing.
1: You know, when you said athlete, I snickered a little bit. Oh come on, give me
0: a break. <laughs> Hold on. Hey, can I can I take over the intro for a moment? Sure, go ahead, buddy. I want to share something with you. May I have a moment? Thank you.
1: Yeah, I said yes. Go.
0: I am so proud of our producer Kyle, who's probably turning red right now Aww. off camera. But last week when we were recording, I looked over at Kyle and I was like, "Hey Kyle, did you lose weight?" And he went on to share that over the last couple of weeks or months, he's lost 15 pounds and. He even looked younger, which is wild because he's 21 years old. So he looks 19 again, (laughs) but it kind of ties into the theme of our podcast. And that is, you know, you find yourself at a point where you want something different. You know, you want something better and you look around and then you realize like, man, it's on me. Like I'm responsible for this. So Kyle's been eating right and getting on the treadmill and doing interval sprints in between whatever it is that Chris has him doing all day long. So (laughs) Man, I'm just encouraged by that. Kyle, congratulations, man. You look wonderful.
1: He's given the uh, heart symbol. So, uh, Kyle, is that true? Oh, nice job, buddy. You cool. didn't notice? You didn't? No, I didn't know if he's... I knew he... Shut up. Okay, you moving look, on. Oh, Appreciate that intro. Kyle is very thankful. Yes, his cheeks are red. Let's get moving. Um, you notice
0: my terrible haircut every week, but I, you never notice that Kyle's blood pressure dropped 40 points. <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. Moving on. Listen, I want to get to our guest. Um ironically we have a past with that with our guest and uh and it was a pretty interesting time in uh in his career i guess you could say adding uh you know from coming from a monster plumbing company and adding uh you know the easy business of hvac <laughs> but our guest is from dublin ireland which listen if you listen to this podcast enough to know um i spent some time there right i i was just t- talking to uh um, talking to Alan, you know, pre podcast about my love for the for Ireland. And uh I thought I was gonna be it there comes for a while. It, it comes up a lot. It comes up a lot. Um so Alan, I gotta share with you real quick before I do do the full introduction. I wanted, I, when I was in Ireland visiting, um we took we did spring break, so it was in March, last March, got all the Ono kids with me, and um we fly and it's a long flight, as I'm sure you probably know. Absolutely. Um and we got in in the morning, and I literally jumped in the car, which you drive, you know, it's left hand, um, driving on the opposite side of the road, uh, flew all night. And uh, I thought, um, you know, I'm going to get in and I'm going to make my, I'm just going to drive all the way to Kilkenny from Dublin. Turns out that was a little bit longer of a drive than I had anticipated after not sleeping all night and driving on the wrong side of the road, the opposite side of the road was a bit stressful. So, but I had drove from Dublin to Kilkenny. Um, and there's, like, castles everywhere, which was so amazing about Ireland. Like, the history of Ireland is just absolutely amazing, and the countryside is gorgeous. I went down to – or I guess it would have kind of been over to uh, Cork and then yeah. down into Cobb to the – I think the Titanic had left uh, port um, on that voyage, the uh, fateful night or that fateful voyage, um, left at a Cobb. Is that right, Alan?
2: Yeah, and, and we, we pronounce it cold. Chris. Oh, uh, damn it. I knew that too. (laughs) Dummy.
1: So I'm still figuring it all out. I got Kilkenny right, right?
2: You did. You're close enough.
1: Thank you. Uh, Then we kind of made a little shift over to uh, um, Killarney. And you just can't help but sing Christmas in Killarney when you're there. And I will Mm -hmm. tell you this. One of the experiences I wanted to have, like really bad. I mean, I got all my kids with me. so um, And there's a lot of pubs. Um, and I wanted to make sure that every place I went, I at least hit one Irish pub, and so I could have a Smittix, huh? See, got that right. Yes, not Smithwick's, Um And and I uh, I got we we the kids stayed in the room. Um, we Craigslisted a, a babysitter. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> they stayed, and we went out in um, in era uh, in the uh, Killarney, and I got to go to a bar, and I really wanted to hear traditional Irish music. But it's actually kind of odd because. There's a lot of country music being played in Ireland. and I'm like, where's the uh, traditional Irish music? And I apparently it's just not that big of a thing. Um, so but I did find one and we got to go in and hear all the Irish folk songs and things like that. But it made my day because I walk out of, out of one pub and I'm walking to another because there's so many so close to each other. And I see this guy walking down the street with those little like those little golfer hats on, like the Payne Stewart hats. Singing, her eyes they shine like the diamond, <laughs> and I'm like, my life is complete. He's, st- <laughs> it
2: he's, sounds like a normal night in in, in Ireland. He's Chris.
1: staggering yeah. down the down the brick road. I'm telling you, I was like, I looked at my wife. I'm like, my life is complete. This is amazing. <laughs> so from there, we shift up and we go up to the cliffs of Moher, which, by the way, is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you, you know, this is. I'm, Paul, I'm going to give you a chance to take a shot at me. Oof. But from there, we go up uh, from Galway to this, and we're driving up towards, I think it's, is it Sligo? Sligo? Sligo. 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 Yeah. And, and I can't make it, so we pull over to stay in this little itty-bitty town called Kitma. I don't expect you to know where it is, uh, but a teeny tiny little town where um, when we had to do laundry, we actually had to go to the gas station to do it, so that part was kind of weird because wow. um, the hotel didn't do it for you. Um, and I use the term hotel very loosely uh, for where we were at, but we found this other little pub and the family that owned it, the guy and the gal that owned it, it was their house too. So their house was above and the pub was below. Uh, there was like five people in this place all night. Um, and Anna and I were two of the five. So my wife and I, but it is where I technically, I mean, we shut the place down cause they just wanted to stay and hang out the whole time and talk to us. So okay. I'm showing you a picture right now, and we'll share it on social media. But if you can kind of see this, this is a lot like what the pub bars look like, right? With all the lit up yeah. um, Guinness Excellent. and the smithing yeah. taps. Yeah. So this was the owner pouring my very first Guinness, and wow. I had ever had. And uh, I'll be mm-hmm. damned! I'll be damned if I didn't become a fan of Guinness. Wow. So um, and then I got to go pour my own, and the pour matters. The pour matters. It
2: definitely does, Chris. It, it's, mm- it's it's, it's it's a, you know, it's very important, and uh, you have to respect the poor. So I'm sure I'm sure they told y'all about us.
1: They did, and so I learned. I got I got edumacated while I was there, and so Absolutely. and then I also got a wee bit buzzed. So that worked out great. It was nice. There we go. Don't worry, our <laughs> kids were just fine. Stop judging me. Yeah. Don't act like no, you've done the same good. thing. <laughs> So real quick, before I getting this next piece too, I do want to go ahead and get the introduction done and uh, and welcome uh, our friend Alan O'Neill, who was who is the CEO and founder of uh, Abacus Plumbing. Now, you actually originally started that with no, 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 it wasn't Abacus. Abacus was on your own, but you when you came in and you from from Ireland into America, you went in originally with your father. Is that right on the business? No, no, Chris. Okay, um, That's I came in and I
2: start working for a company called Gerald Plumbing, who are a Uh, Contractors 2000 member, which eventually became Nexstar. So pretty quickly, I got an education into best practice in the home (laughs) services industry. And so I worked for Jarrell for a few years, who the the owner eventually sold to uh, Group Mac, which became Encompass, who eventually filed bankruptcy. So that was my first pass at consolidation. I ended up being the president of that when the parent filed bankruptcy. And then I started, um, I started Abacus in April 2003 with the original owner of of Gerald. Your old Um, boss. Yes, my old boss, exactly. Got it. And we started out as 50-50 partners and he was in his mid 60s when we started and he never intended to stay around very long. So he stayed around about three or four years. I bought his half of the company and and it went on from there.
1: Got it. So I was way, I don't even know why I said that. Cause I clearly even have on my little highlighted sheet here that says former boss and not father. I don't yes. know. Maybe I'm thinking about father. I don't know what's up. Maybe it's yeah, I'm of, thinking
0: about Guinness.
1: Maybe I'm thinking yeah. about Guinness right now. That sounds great. Well, um, so that is, and, and if I remember, if I read this right and I could jack it up again, but if I read it right, you were reading the paper about is it the American lottery and you're kind of like, and that's, is this, is it, I read this, I think it was in the ACHR news, um, that, when, it, when you were in Ireland, that's kind of what it was, is that you entered the worldwide lottery for your green card. And then that was kind of your intru- entry in. Now, was, when you started Abacus, you said it was 2003. Is that right? Tree, correct, yeah. That's yeah. right. If I say it in, in, uh, with an Irish accent, it's tree. I've tree. heard that. Yeah, like
2: the, like the one with the branches. Exactly. Basically.
1: We don't do the TH very well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's talk about, real quick, um, a uh, – the, I want you to, to let the listeners know who've not heard of Ab, because Abacus, in my opinion, um, and I think a lot of people's opinion in the state of Texas, is one of the most reputable home services company in uh, in South Texas. Um, and, and Houston is where you're actually... Now, your actual brick and mortar is like your main first building in Houston proper or is it in a suburb?
2: No, it's in Houston proper. Actually, very close to the... Uh, International Airport here in Houston, Chris. So we're in North Houston, but it's it's a pretty central location.
1: So even when we worked together, I didn't actually ever come uh, to Houston. So I never actually got to see the shop, but I do know the reputation precedes you, and it's only continued to grow. I mean, gosh, I mean when when we were working together, it's been a while ago. You've done accomplished so much since then, and I mean that was when you were just adding HVAC, and you hadn't even added electrical because I think that was a few years on down the road from there too. But I want you to let the listeners know if you don't mind. Um, so that way they can understand the size of this company that you've built it to, and I think it's worthy of good praise. So kind of let them know um, a little bit of, okay, so 2003, you, you, uh, you get this thing started. Take us from that journey from '03 on to where you are today to kind of set it up. Are you good with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we started in 2003, Chris, April 2003, um, and, we, and we managed to do a million dollars in plumbing in the first year and we we repeated that every year we grew by a million dollars every single year from 2003 to 2011, 2011 we ended up 9.3 million dollars nice. and it was around that time that somebody approached me about selling the company or partnering with a private equity group and the first the first go around chris i Pretty quickly figured out I didn't like the guys that I was talking to. And I said, no, you know, I had hadn't really got selling on my mind. They approached me. sure. So I passed on that. And then um, eventually the the group that I did sell to approached me and said, look, we'd love to partner with you. And so we started having discussions. So early 2012, February of 12, um, I partnered with a with a small private equity guy out of Seattle. Uh, Colin Hathaway. Yep. And, uh, you know, one of Colin's things was, look, you're really good at plumbing. You have a great reputation of plumbing. We have a company in Dallas and they, they're really good at AC and not so strong in plumbing. So we, we'd like to get you on board. We'd like to, we'd like you to start air conditioning and help them with their plumbing and they, and you can use their HVAC model. And so literally Chris, we closed on 9th of February uh and ran our first call march 6th our first hvac call <sighs> march 6th so it was it was pretty quick um but uh it was it was also a rude awakening like i wasn't <laughs> i wasn't ready for it for sure hey, like, can,
1: I, can i share the name um, of can i share the name I, of the just
2: assumed, I just assumed you know a technician is a technician right um they can't be that different and it's, it's almost like you know, HVAC techs and plumbers are from different planets. They just don't think the same right. and, and don't act the same. And so, you know, it took a little while. But, but now today, um, fast forward, um, you know, nine years since, since we were first acquired, um, you know, we're at 55 million in sales. It's about uh, 45% plumbing, 45% HVAC, 10% electrical. And we just added water nice. treatment in the last year, um, and so have a standalone water treatment division now that's about a million dollars in sale. So it, it's pretty exciting. It's been been a great journey.
1: So one, congratulations. Um, that's pretty amazing. Uh, do you mind? I was so I was a part of that part of that journey with Colin and um, the addition of HVAC and also Dallas. So I don't know if it's okay to mention who the co- company was in Dallas. I mean, since I know who it is, but
2: yeah, yeah. It, uh, it was Berkey's. Berkey's so yeah. Berkey's, was the, Berkey's was Colin's first acquisition in this investment. So yep. um, Berkey's, uh, you know, a great company, very similar culture to ours. And and really, as I was weighing up the possibility of partnering with Colin, when I went to Berkey's and felt like the culture was as good as what we had in Houston, For sure. it seemed like a natural marriage to me. So uh, it gave me some comfort
0: what was it about Colin as a partner that made you more comfortable than the original person who wanted to partner? Cause not all PEs are created equal. Right. Right.
2: No, you know, so he came, he, you know, so of course every owner, when they start thinking about selling, the biggest worry point is what if the employees find out too early and, and, you know, it, it causes mayhem. So I, I, I remember having a conversation with Colin saying, Hey, when you come i would never met him in person when you come to see the office like i'm going to present you as as a banker because i think our bank had sold at the time and had new ownership and and so i said i'm going to present you as a banker and i was visualizing this guy private equity guy coming in in a three-piece suit and tie and you know <laughs> obviously not the typical guy you'd see around a plumbing company but colin was polar opposite to that you know colin comes in and his his designer jeans and his, uh, his, you know, plaid shirt, or, you know, I think it was a purple shirt or something. I mean, but not your, not your three piece suit guy. And so, and um, didn't really raise an eyebrow in, in the company, but actually when, when Colin and I start talking, I think we hit it off really well. Like we just spoke the same language. Um, one of the things that was really important to me is, Are we going to be able to take care of our people in the same manner that we've always taken care of them and that was very important to him and so i think i think we just hit it off in terms of our our you know goals and our viewpoints on how employees and customers for that matter should be treated and so you know we just connected almost instantly i think and that's a big deal
1: all of this with smartac.com. You've gotta check it out now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your values aligned. Um, Colin's a great guy. Yeah. Um yeah. and yeah. and it and I think it was important to hear in that too. Uh, because obviously, Alan, you know, especially being a part of the Rinch group family as well, um, like MA went absolutely bonkers last year. Um, and I have a feeling like it's gonna be a lot more of the same this year. Um, but you gotta find the right fit. Um, it can't just be about the money. It's got to be about the right fit. If, like you said, you genuinely care about your staff, um, your employees, the ones who actually make it happen, um, you know, it's got to be more than that. Like, you have to be a good cultural fit, I think, for each other as well. Paul, were you going to say something? Absolutely,
2: Chris. Like, I just have the privilege of steering the ship. But, you know, they make the money. And so if, if you don't if you don't have a happy and contented workforce, yeah, it's it's just not gonna go well. So yeah, that was my major consideration at the time was hey, um, you know, first of all, you're going from being entrep- entrepreneurial where you make all the decisions to technically having a boss, right? Whether no matter how you dress it up, that's that's what you're doing. Yep. And so the, the two biggest fears for me were number one, can I still take care of my people? Number two, are you going to try to take the entrepreneurial spirit away from me? And, you know, I guess the answer to that, Chris, is I'm still here nine years later. Right. And so I still feel like an entrepreneur. I still get to make entrepreneurial decisions and, 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 you know, grow this thing the way I want to grow it. So uh, it's been, I've been, I will say I've been blessed with the partners I've been with so far. They've been great.
1: So hold on, Paul, I want to add one quick question on the back of this um so now you added um electrical in 14 right was it 15 15? 15 okay yeah so now if i if i read this correctly and i'm curious to know about this jump because um like i've had lots of conversations like when you when you're just hitting your first million it seems like it's like the most monumental thing to hit a million dollars and then you go from to three and then you go to five and you go to 10. Like there are these different like chunks along the way. We're like, damn, how am I going to get to this one? But it starts to become more clear at some point. And now you're adding services and things like that. And obviously I'm talking like if you decide to go down the acquisition piece of it, I'm talking if it's straight organic, um, it's hard to sometimes understand like, how, gosh, how do I get to 55 million? Well, there's a lot that goes into those things. Now, one thing that I read that really, that I wanted to ask you about um, was from 14 to 15, you went from i think it was like and i want to make sure i don't know if this was if this was vertical specific or if this was overall sales as a whole but you went from like 18 and a half to 27 million from 14 to 15 was that because of the inclusion of electrical into the business or cuz that is a monster jump
2: no i think i think that was the year chris if my memory serves me correctly when we finally got ac figured out like we start to actually get efficient in at installing air conditioning systems and grew our sales. And so the electrical was a very small piece of that. It was, you know, seven hundred and fifty thousand the first Got year it. or something. But but the the growth that year was in was in HVAC. Okay. And some plumbing growth, but mostly HVAC.
1: That is a huge huge jump. Yeah. yeah it was um, great. All right, Paul, go ahead.
0: Well, you mentioned the differences between a plumbing tech and an HVAC tech. What were some other challenges as you one integrated another service, but two, HVAC in particular? What was so challenging when you first started?
2: To me, it just seemed way more difficult, Paul. So, so the sales are bigger. The average ticket is way bigger, obviously, than the average plumbing ticket. Right. But you're 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 bringing big equipment through the house, and and you know. Our damages went up. We were stepping through more ceilings. Like operationally, we weren't as fine tuned as we were on the plumbing side. Everybody in the department is new, right? So you know, in in plumbing, we had employees that were with us since day one. They they knew our system. They were they were great with customers. But we were. It was very hit and miss, trial and error in the first couple of years with with HVAC, and so. And we were so anxious to grow it. I mean, we probably weren't being as as judicious with our hiring as we should have been. And so it got, like, I remember calling Colin one day and saying, hey, I think I want to shut down HVAC. Um, <laughs> like, like this is causing me to lose sleep. Um, I, I feel like we're potentially damaging our reputation. And, and it was just growing pains. Like, it was just... Right a lot of stuff happening, right? And so, so Colin was like, hey, chill out, like take a deep breath, let's tackle the problems one by one. And, and we did, and and we had to make some changes operationally, but we, we got there. And, you know, I'd never be as presumptuous as to say that it's a, it's a fine tuned machine now, but like we probably have less problems now at the level of HVAC we're at than we had back then, just because we have it
0: dialed in operationally, you know. Got it. Now you mentioned, um, you know, objectives around great leadership and employee motivation, customer satisfaction. How do you operate the business in those areas? But more importantly, talk about great leadership. Like what have been some of the leadership uh, moves you've made over the year to help you get where you are now?
2: Yeah. So, you know, people have asked me, what did being part of the PE world do for you? Um, and, and I will tell you, Paul and Chris, it has challenged me to be a better leader. Um, and and you know, when I was a when I was a standalone plumbing company, for example, and I needed a supervisor, a manager, the first thing I would do is look at my competitors and say, who have they got that I can potentially grab and bring them on board, right? But But all we were doing was hiring other people's problems, essentially. And so I think one thing the private equity world has taught me as a leader is to look nationally and look for the best people you can, regardless of their background. So, for example, my general manager um, is female and she has an oil and gas background. She has no background in the home services industry. Mm -hmm. My VP of operations, Tony, Came from the moving business, and before that, he was in the uh, uniform business. My uh, HVAC operations manager has a pest control background, so none of these key leaders came from the industry. But what I what I understood was they were great business people that knew how to run a business profitably, and so we brought them in. And what the best part about that is they challenge the norms like they would constantly say to me why do we do it like this right and and you know of course the old answer well we've always done it like that <laughs> well, well how about something different right and so i i've had great success and i would encourage anybody listening to not be afraid to look out the in, outside the industry for talent because um you just never know what you're going to find and, and how successful they can be uh, but, but we've had great fortune with, with great leadership from outside the industry.
1: I 100% agree. So I'm, um, I'm glad you, you already kind of brought up. I want to talk about that because that this topic of hiring outside of the industry has come up. And if you saw, Alan, too, and on, um, on some of my prep, I, I specifically wanted to dig into um, your thoughts on hiring from outside of the industry. And you just explained it. I agree. I think that this is how we've always done it is your worst enemy. Um, right. and, and when you bring in good leaders, good business minded people who haven't been tainted, and I say that like respectfully by the industry, um, you get new ideas, you get to think outside of the box. Um, and that's something I'm a big, big fan of. So, um, we had, uh, it was last week we did our episode with Julian Scadden, um, CEO of Nextar. And, uh, I kind of like his mindset and it is a, it can't just be like it's always been. And, and I'm a huge fan of those things. So I would encourage the listeners, too, to to really heed Alan's advice here on, you know what? Look outside. Look outside the industry for leadership. You know, and I think it's actually easier to, and you can disagree with me, but I think it's easier to bring somebody outside the industry and start to teach them the quote-unquote industry versus somebody who's in the industry and trying to teach get them away from that mindset, you know, to be a good leader in a different way. It's easier to bring the untainted person in and just teach them the home services based on what you want them to know, almost like building your own techs anymore.
2: Right, right. Well, you know, I'd say, Chris, that prior to hiring from outside the industry, we were pretty good, but we weren't great. Um, and, and you know the old saying, good is the enemy of great, great. Yep. right? And, and we didn't know what we didn't know. And so I think as we've hired outside the industry and brought people in with new ideas, it certainly has challenged me to be a better leader, and, and it has challenged our people. Now, I'm not for a second saying you can hire somebody from whatever industry and bring them in as your plumbing service manager of and have them directly running your
1: plumbers. Of course. Because yes. you
2: need somebody technical to do that. Sure. I'm talking high-level leadership positions. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for for at least looking outside. And yeah, shooting.
1: perfect. Thanks for clarifying that. That's important. hmm
0: What do you look for in those people? What are some of the attributes of their character that stand out that you think, okay, I can work with this?
2: Yeah, you know, proven track and leadership for a start, right? Have they they moved through the organizations they've been in, Paul? Like, have they progressed in their career? Um, You know, for example, our our, uh, general manager, Molly, has a master's in in accounting right so she's she's very strong on the accounting side she's not a she's not an accountant she doesn't do accounting in our business but she had moved through different operational roles in her previous career and i felt like having that with a solid background in accounting would would help us critically look at our numbers every every month and and improve Mm -hmm. and you know tony um tony coming from the moving industry he's moving trucks and people around just like we are they just do something different when we get to the house so so you know i'm I'm, both of those people interestingly like all of my leaders that i have hired from outside the industry the one common thing they one thing they have in common is they all dealt with blue-collar workforces, mm-hmm. right? So Molly in Island Gas, they, she was in charge of operations on the rigs, like like uh, the technical side. Um, Tony with the moving, you know, he's dealing with movers who are blue-collar. And then Lance in the pest control world, he's dealing with, with uh, you know, uh, regional managers and and location managers and pest control locations. So they all have a background in the service industry, if you like, but not necessarily our trades.
1: Got it. I want to take a step back for a second if, uh, Paul, unless you wanted to say something along those lines. Go right ahead. Okay, cool. I know where you're going. Okay. So I actually want to go back to the addition of of, uh, HVAC. And so, um, and Alan, you and I kind of talked about this, I think it was yesterday, uh, that – a lot, of t- a lot of times it is HVAC adding plumbing. Um, if you're an existing HVAC company, you're adding plumbing. It's uh, it's Not often I hear it's the opposite. Now, it certainly happens, but not at the frequency of where it's HVAC adding plumbing. So you kind of do it the opposite way. I understand why now, so thanks for teeing that up. But I want to talk about this because whenever I asked you about it, you kind of talked about the pain points that came along with that. And there was a gap there when, like you even said, you were kind of like – I don't want to do this. I think it's hurting the, you know, it's hurting the brand. Um, but what are, if you can dig into sp- like a little bit more specific, specifically, um, you know, what, what were some things you would have done differently when starting the uh, HVAC side of the business? Now that you know what you know.
2: Yeah, you know, as crazy as this sounds, Chris, um, I told you we were required, you know, beginning of February, we ran our first call on March 1st and we spent all of February selling memberships, uh, service agreement, HVAC service agreements over the phone before we ever had a truck, right? So I wanted to have a group of memberships that our guys could run. So I think we ended up with 50 or 60 memberships before we ever ran a call. Now, you know, the one thing we didn't do, and this is crazy, is we didn't nail down our, our operational plan, right? We just said, let's hire a manager, um, that knows HVAC, check the box. Let's hire four HVAC techs, check the box, put them in trucks. Now go. Um, here's here's you know paper invoices at the time. Here's your paper invoice. We had a price book. We and we used Burpees as a resource. We had a price book. We had we had partnered with American Standard, and so we said, look, we've got the equipment, we've got the techs, we've got the trucks, we've got a manager. What could go wrong? Oh my God. we had no operational plan like it was just go see the customers and 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 service their hvac and sell them some stuff that they needed and so we didn't nail down a definitive plan we just moved too fast chris if that makes sense like so we were fixing and learning on the fly instead of bringing guys in training them in the abacus way having them you know at the same standard as our plumbers in terms of what we wanted when they got to the customer's home. And then, you know, the follow-up, right? Making sure that the work was of good quality and inspecting it and all that. And so we we were like honestly, we were flying by the seat of our pants for I, I would say at least a year, maybe 18 months. Well. And as problems started to surface. You know, we said, hey, we've got to fix this. Like, I was getting concerned about our reputation. And I don't think we got, we gathered a bad reputation for HVAC. I just wasn't happy with the way we were servicing our clients. Sure. And, and you know, we started to get calls from customers that said, listen, I've used you for plumbing for years, and I just used you for HVAC. The experience is not the same. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always told my guys that, Hey, this should be like McDonald's, right? You pull up to the drive-thru window, you're getting the brown paper bag, your cheeseburger and fries are in it, you're getting your drink, and off you go. It should always be the same experience. But I like I would be out somewhere and, and someone would say, I used you guys last week, and in my head I was going, I hope it was plumbing. I hope it was plumbing. Like I was, I was not, <laughs> <laughs> I was not content with what we were doing on the HVAC side, right? Now I will tell you now, those guys are awesome. Uh, I mean, we've built a great team with great leadership, and, and and I'm really happy with where we are. But we just didn't have – we tried to build a house without a foundation, Chris, if that yeah. makes sense.
1: Yeah, and if you remember, I'm sure you do, um, you – so when because we you guys were partnered with Rhino at the time, which was Brickyard at the time, you actually gave us a super healthy budget to go after Legion. And so – we were cranking lead gen, and you guys were like, I mean, working crazy hours. It was like a pretty hectic, insane time, and it was, uh, I remember thinking, man, you know, i was so proud of the team. They're crushing it. lead volumes flying off the, you know, but we're listening to every call. We're like, uh-oh. So it was interesting, though, to watch it that you basically just kind of took it on the fly, too. Like, it was a crazy time to, uh, you know, for you guys down there.
2: Yeah, the old saying, Chris, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. (laughs) We were definitely learning on the fly. Yeah.
0: So let's go back. You just mentioned foundation. So you attribute a lot of your success to, you know, rigorous hiring and training. Talk about those two things, particularly training. How do you onboard and train your employees to deliver what your vision is with plumbing and HVAC, you know, down to the homeowner level? Love it.
2: Yeah, so much differently today, Paul, uh, <laughs> than we did in the past, right? So we have a very defined onboarding process today, right? And, and uh, I try to meet every employee uh, in person and, and share my vision, like where I came from, how proud I am of what I've built, and why it's important not to damage our reputation, right? So um, and one of the things I do is when somebody comes on board, and, and this was born out of a, a an attempt to hire a guy one time that challenged us with the question, why should I work for you? And of course, I came back with the normal answers. Well, we're going to pay you great. We're going to give you a vacation. You're going to have a new truck. And he said, every single interview I go to tell, tells me the same thing. So why should I work for you? So as a result of that conversation, I came up with three promises. And, and they are. Number one, we're going to make you a better tech. If you stay with us for any length of time, we're going to make you a better tech. by training you so well that you're going to become better at your craft. Number number two, we're going to make you a better person. And that usually raises an eyebrow. They say, well, how are you going to do that? Well, we train you so well to communicate that by being a better communicator, you're going to be a better dad, a better husband, a better wife, whatever, you know, whatever the, the person is. I love it. Um, and, and your family relationships are just going to be better. And last but not least, if you stay with us for a length of time, we will leave you in better financial condition than when you joined us. So we'll give you great earning potential. Oh, and so good. that well, kind have... of sets it up, right? That sets it up that we are, we are attempting to create a relationship with you that's going to benefit you in these three key areas. Now, the end result of that is if somebody leaves, and they do leave, people leave our company. Sure. Um, one of the things, one of the questions on the onboarding, on the on the offboarding uh, survey is, how do we do with the three promises, right? So just before they walk out the gate, we're reminding them, we've made these promises to you. How do we do? You know, if they're mad, they'll say, terrible, you guys suck, I'm leaving. Right. And, you know, but most guys say, you know what, I am a better plumber, or a better HVAC tech, or better electrician. Uh, Yeah, you know, my wife tells me I'm better to be around and and guess what? I have more money in the bank than when I started. Now, when they go off and go work for somebody else and they don't approach them with that kind of entry into the company, they don't make them promises, they don't live by the promises, they start to think about coming back. So about 60 to 80 percent of our people that leave ask to come back at some stage. And, you know, I think that's important. But. Back to your question on, on onboarding, we have a very well defined onboarding process. We take them through onboarding, and then they have to ride with for at least two weeks with a with a senior technician. So we have training techs, and we don't. Two weeks doesn't mean you graduate. The technician has to graduate you. Like he's got to come and say, "Hey, Chris is ready. He's 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 done his training." He's ready to go. He's ready to represent Abacus. So, so we we're very serious about getting them ready, regardless of the level of experience they have. We're not training them how to be a plumber. We're training them how to be an Abacus plumber or an Abacus HVAC tech or an Abacus electrician.
1: That's pretty That's amazing. It. The volume of the people that come back because oh, I mean yeah. they don't they think the grass is greener, but you're like, hey, this isn't Ireland. Huh? See that idea there? See what I there? <laughs> hey, good? What I oh, there? Is I that good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The
0: setup and the takedown. I want to go a little bit deeper on the promises because I think that's really special, really unique. Um, what tools or resources do you use to make someone a better person? You talk about being a better communicator and a better overall human being. Like what does that look like operationally? How do you teach that? Mm,
2: yeah, yeah. So, you know, ninety percent of our weekly trainings, Paul, are around communication with the customer. Right. And, you know, one of the nicest compliments I like to see on our surveys when we complete a job is he was a really nice guy. Right. The technician was a really nice guy because we feel like if you make a friend in the home, then everything else becomes just a lot easier. Absolutely. you know, we are doing so. We used um, we have used various training resources over the years. So in our early years, we were members of Plumber Success International, which is now Success Group International. That was great, very formative in our in our growth. Um, we we're now members of NextStar, so we, we've you know used a lot of NextStar training, and and that's world class. Um, we've used Service Excellence training in Austin. Todd Lyles is a great organization up there. But what we've found over the years when it comes to training is no matter who's doing the training, eventually they become Charlie Brown to the technicians, right? They're just hearing my wah, 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 Yeah. So, you know, we feel like we have to change it every couple of years. I'm bringing new uh, new blood to train our techs. Currently, we're using the blue collar coach, Kenny Chapman and, and uh, Chris Crew. Yep great great group of guys and our, our, our technicians love them and we're doing our own training which is like a blend of next hour training and and stuff we develop ourselves so you know we spend a lot of time on the training but 90 percent of the training time is spent on communication skills and and we really do want to make them better people like we don't make those promises as like icing on the cake right. just hope that we do we really do want to make them better people and so you know, we, we we do a lot of Ziegler stuff. We do a lot of John Maxwell stuff. We do, I mean, we just use every resource we have available to develop the person, you know? See, see, one thing I'll say, in case I forget to say this during the podcast is, we've been blessed. Like, as a company, Advocates has been blessed. We've won awards. We've won, you know, I think 13 Better Business Bureau Awards. We've won the Inc. 5000 thing, you know, we've been, and, and you know, that used to kind of turn me on, right? I used to get great excitement out of that. But what what excites me today is seeing a young man come out of high school um, with, with or without a high school diploma and, or a young lady for that matter. And we take them and we train them and they, and they become a six figure earner in a few short years. And and then they buy a home and they buy a car and they eventually send their kids to college and and i'm sitting here thinking we just changed that dude's family tree like we just changed his family forever and i'm saying this now i'm actually getting the hair standing up on the back of my neck because I'm so serious about it um i love that like you couldn't pay me enough money to to not do that today because yeah. and that's why i'm still here because Like I want my legacy to be, we change lives, right? We, we help people do better. So
1: you're speaking our lingo. Um, We just had our annual kickoff meeting last week where all the rhinos come into town. We still had some that were virtual, but we bring them in. And um, one thing that, that we have done, even since, you know, back when we were working with Abacus is we do this service day once a month. And it's about kind of giving back to the employees and kind of doing something, you know, that's not for ourselves, but for the community, but doing it together. Um, It makes you feel good because you get to give back. And I love being able to give those experiences to the staff, especially as we grow. And it's one thing that we've kept in place. Um, But we did the kickoff meeting last week, and we did something different this year than we've done every year or any other year. And that is we did these customer impact videos. And what I like to do, and and much like you, Alan, is um, you've got this empathetic side to you. And uh, I'm very much that way. But we, we, we had these client impact videos where we had asked like five customers randomly kind of all over the United States to just share um, what the impact has had on them beyond just like financial. Okay, so it is how did it impact them, their families, their technicians, their technicians families, their trajectory of their career, you know, career growth of some of their employees, because that's how personal it is that you're impacting actual lives. And it's hard for somebody who's just running a pay-per-click campaign or an SEO campaign or building a website who's not client-facing to understand what that is. They can't see beyond the logo. But I want them to feel that experience on like, hey, you just, because you worked so hard on this account and you did this, yes, they grew this much, but here's who's impact, life you just impacted. He went from being a technician to a lead tech. Or he went from, right. like, that is what this is about. That's the fun. That's the process. And it seems like you're a lot of the same of trying to create those processes for your for your employees. Absolutely, absolutely, Chris.
0: Paul, you up? Oh, sorry, I'm going to jump right back in. So I'm caught up in the moment because last week we we went through that he- hearing. No, I'm not crying. It's, it's allergies, <laughs> but no, that is the yeah. why. And there are long days and hard days in everybody's job, but that just makes it all worth it. And we had a, a similar situation with an employee who is buying his first home and getting married, and and like that's that's what we talk about. Those are the wins for us. Um, talk about the set. so you got the business up and running, right? You've got a partner and then another partnership opportunity came about. What did that process look like and what did you learn from that process?
2: Yeah. So I had no intention to sell at Paul. I wasn't looking for a partner. Um, I wasn't looking, you know, I was just, I just head down and go like grow. And, you know, I kept setting new goals. I, I remember before we started Abacus, so I think this is important. We, we would have Starbucks meetings. So we'd meet in Starbucks and we'd talk about like what this might look like someday. And we had this plan that we could get to five trucks doing 400,000 a truck and we'd have 2 million and we'd have a 15% net profit, and we'd just be killing it. Like, that was our plan. <laughs> and, and, you know, we were, in, we, we were at five trucks within a couple of months, and then, you know, it got to 10, and then, and, you know, so we would set goals and hit them and set goals and hit them. And so, you know, it just – so when it came to late 2011, I happened to be at my attorney's office doing some estate planning and my wife was with me and and he said to me hey i've got a question and i said go ahead he said what would happen to abacus if something happened to you and and i just got like really wide-eyed and i said i don't know and he said to my wife have you any desire to run a plumbing company and she looked horrified she was like oh hell no i don't know anything <laughs> about plumbing and i don't want anything to do with it and and my you know i had asked my kids like do you have any interest and they said hey dad look you go out early in the morning when it's dark and you come home when it's dark and we don't want but that's not what we see for ourselves so so you know i started to think about what it might look like to take a partner on and and uh you know a private equity partner yeah. and so as i said my first go round wasn't great um felt like it wasn't a good match and then i met colin and and it made a lot of sense. And so for me, it was taking chips off the table and protecting my family, but I was not ready to stop working. Like I was very clear about that. I was not ready to stop working and we structured a deal in such a way where I still had skin in the game. And I think that's like, if there's anyone out there listening, that's thinking about, you know, potentially taking on a PE partner because it's everywhere right Right. now. Right. So I I think if you're a true entrepreneur, you have to retain skin in the game to stay engaged. Like, it's why I'm here nine years later, right? With every partnership we've had, we've had the opportunity to, to retain some skin in the game. And so I think as an entrepreneur, there's a couple of things you want. To, you want to keep some skin in the game because the more you grow it, the more you benefit. and And everybody in my mind should do that. But the second thing is you have to ask yourself, like, what do you really want? Are you OK with somebody being in ultimate control of your destiny? Because you are like you are selling the company. Um, even if you keep a small piece, you're probably going to be a minority owner. So you, you are giving up some control. And so I don't know about you guys, but one thing I've noticed with entrepreneurs is we all have control issues, right? So, so (laughs) we don't ever, we don't ever want to give it all up, but, but, you know, they, pieces of advice. I would say, Hey, make sure you like the people, make sure you can work with the people, keep some skin in the game. And, and be aware that life will change, um, not necessarily for the worst, but it will change.
0: You could end up one miserable millionaire at home. <laughs> you <right>? could.
2: <laughs> you could have to call in Rich. Call.
0: <laughs> exactly. So talk about your new role as, I guess, a regional CEO of the Wrench Group. Like, what does that look like from running your own company to now having a partner? What's that look like?
2: Yeah, so kind of happened by accident, Paul. So when I was working with Colin um, and we... Uh, so we had Berkey's and Abacus and uh, Colin's wife was expecting a baby. Like she was very pregnant, almost, almost ready to give birth. And the um, owner, former owner of the company in Dallas decided he was going to leave. And so, you know, we had this leadership gap, like we didn't have anyone to run Berkey's. So Colin said, Hey, I know this wasn't in your plan, um, but you know, how do you feel about taking uh you know, a CEO role and, and running both companies. Now for the first six months, that meant being in Berkey's two or three days a week, being in Abacus two days and flip-flopping every week. So that was tough until we eventually heard a president for Berkey's. And then, you know, um, we acquired Parker & Sons in, in Phoenix, and then we acquired Cool Ray in Atlanta, and then we sold. And so I still retained my position as CEO of Texas, and eventually, then we purchased Baker Brothers uh, Plumbing and Air out of Dallas awesome. also. And so I fell in as CEO of that group. So, you know, I've got three companies now, about 130 million of, of sales and uh, eight to 900 employees. Um, but, but I will say there's great leadership at every location. So it's not like I'm running the businesses. I'm, I'm not. I'm just working with the managers. Uh, at each location. And, uh, it's a great, I love the role. Um, I, I love, you know, I love Texas. I love being here and, uh, it's been, it's been a very cool role to see it grow. Yeah.
1: Well, it's exciting to, I guess I've been around long enough to see all that stuff kind of, you know, in real time. Um, but obviously not from your perspective, mine has just been a, um, you know, I mean, we're in Phoenix, so Parker and Sons part of that deal. Josh Kelly, Paul Kelly, uh, Paul Kelly, great human being. Um, it's just been neat to see it kind of all unfold, and we've had you know um, Ken Haynes on this podcast before, and Ken and I have known each other a long time, and you know, you guys have actually acquired quite a few of my customers <laughs> over the years. So, um, but I know the caliber. Uh, of those customers and the values of those. And I think that's, what's the most intriguing to me is that it's just one big group, but there are these good values that are part of it. And, um, and I, that's why I think it's one of the most reputable um, home services, you know, PE firms that's out there. And I genuinely, I say that like genuinely and it's because the people in there are solid. So um, I want to ask one, um, one question because I think we're about what, 50 minutes in Kyle. Okay, cool. So for our listeners, um, clearly Alan has, uh, you know, he's, he's been down, he's been, he's been through the gauntlet of, uh, of the HVAC plumbing and electrical world, but he's, he's also done it, um, very successfully, not always by himself with partners. He's looked for leadership outside of, um, you know, just for different mindset on, you know, upper management, I would say, or even executive management, um, sea level management, whatever you want to call it. But the, it does, if I break it down, if you had to go back now and break it down, then I'm going to give you a couple different things. So I like for our listeners to take away like, hey, this is great, Alan. There's no way in hell I can focus on all of those things. I need to start with one or two. I want to break it down to the um, basically five layers. What well, I'll call the five layers of business too, whether it be operational, financial, sales, marketing, or technical. If you could pick the two, I don't, and I don't know if you have your your uh, the questions in front of you where I gave you those as a reference, but if you had to like. Um, put those in order. Uh, how would you do it based on what you know now between operational, financial sales, marketing, and technical?
2: So if, if I was starting a new business, Chris,
1: yeah, I mean, if you, yeah. If you're new, if you're only a couple years in, like you're still like very much in the business versus working on the business. Like what would you do knowing what you know now, if you had to yes, prioritize? So,
2: so technical Chris, like you're hiring professionals that are licensed in, in, in our state at least. And, You know, I I would, technical would be bottom of my list because you assume they can do the work, right? Um, When we started, we outsourced our financial, you know, our CFO was outsourced, our accounting firm was outsourced. So in my mind, the phone has to ring. Nothing happens till the phone rings. So marketing would be top of the list in, in my mind. Once the phone rings, go back to our story about starting HVAC on a wing and a prayer, right? you've got you've got to have your operational efficiencies down and so i would start with marketing make the phone ring operational let's get the operational into a finely tuned machine so have everybody on board with how you go to market and then once you once everyone knows how to act in the home and treat the customers and treat each other then you got to sell something, right? right. So sales yeah. obviously um, would be would be very important. And then obviously you got to do good work. So technical uh, would be, would be, you know, it's what you what we probably need the least training on as a new business, but, um, you know, we, you definitely want them doing good work and, and you hope when you hire a licensed guy, he's going to be able to do
1: that. Yeah, sure. So it makes a lot of sense because a lot of times it's a technician that's kind of rolling out on the zone and doing his own thing. Um, so we got marketing, uh, prioritize number one, operations, sales, finance, technical. Is that right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and as I said, finance was outsourced. So I kind of put that off to the side. It's very important. You have to know where the money's going, Chris, but, um, it, we outsourced at the, the start.
1: Yeah. And just so you, if you're listening, what, what Alan's talking about is, um, you, if you can't afford to have somebody full time, you can hire part time like CFOs. There's a lot of options out there for somebody. Now, if even, even if it's not a CFO, it's somebody who can do your finances for you. That's what we did in the beginning. Is we had a part time financial person because we were trying to focus on execution and operations so heavy and doing you know good customer service that we need somebody to help. Like we needed a second set of eyes to make sure everything was good. Like we were functioning, you know. And we were blessed to have been a debt free company since day one. So we don't make any decisions off financial fear, but we also had a lot of good financial help along the way. And thankfully my wife is no slouch at it either. Um, I like asking that question, uh, that same question about prioritizing those five things and hearing the different answers. But I think for the most part, it's pretty accurate. Um, but it, it's, it is interesting to see what everyone's take on that is. I want to commend you on something real quick, Alan, before we close out too. Um, I love the three promises that you gave. Um, be a better technician, you can be a better person and you're going to be, have a better, be in a better financial position. Um, I think a key ingredient that misses, that's a big miss because let's face it, like recruiting is still recruiting. Like it's like recruiting is tough. Um, And I pray that last year really exposed um, how good of a life you can have and how steady of a life you can have if you work into the trades uh, since we're essential business. So glad that that happened. But It's also clear, like you had mentioned, too, you can roll out of, you know, high school and with zero knowledge of the trades, go into a trade school, come out. I mean, you can easily be a six-figure person pretty early on in your life with no uh, debt from college, you know, or no debt from that type of education, higher education, whatever you want to call it. Um, But guess what? It's (laughs) pandemic-proof. You're in a pandemic-proof business. Nobody in my office was worried about their jobs. Not one person. Kyle, were you worried about your job in pandemic? Of course not. No, because all of our customers were blowing up, you know. But essential business is essential business, man. You need heating and air conditioning. You need to be comfortable. If it's too hot or too cold, plumbing. You don't want you don't want to lose your heat and your toilet breakdown. Have a backup, and it's nice and hot. That's no good. Not a good mixture.
0: Oh here we go.
1: So I'm just saying, um, the missing ingredient here too is how you how are you treating them as human beings? Because I think if you can impact if you can impact your employees personally, and you you pour into them personally, I think it makes them want to fight for you. That makes them want to fight for their peers and want to do whatever they can for the company, which means delivering the best customer service that's out there. And, and I, I commend you for doing that. Those three things are great for measurables. I love that you do exit interviews. Um, I think that's great feedback Sometimes It sucks to hear it. Um, but also is, it can be very constructive and help you where you, maybe you had a miss cause you can't be everywhere all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Chris, I, yeah.
1: I got to know this. Where did the name Abacus come from?
0: Oh, this is good.
2: Yeah. So know. if you remember back in 2003, our main marketing source was the Yellow Pages. And so my my partner had a friend who sold Yellow Pages. She was one of the be- biggest salespeople in, in Houston. So she said, if you're going to start a new business, you need an alphabetically friendly name. So you get to the front of the phone. <laughs> and so... I literally sit down one night, Chris, with a beer and a dictionary and I started with A <laughs> and the first word that made any sense was abacus. And you can count on us, with the abacus being a counting device, became our tagline. So I called my partner and said, Hey what do you think of abacus plumbing? You can count on us. And he was like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. And so may have been the last good idea I had. Chris, but it was, it <laughs> so was the good. name and we, we stuck with it. So it's, it's been it, great.
0: it means nothing and everything at the same time. Um, yeah. Producer Kyle, will you find out the percentage of plumbing companies with a letter A in the first name of their brand throughout the United States? I think that'd be, he's not going to be able to
1: accomplish that before we get off here. Um, <laughs>
0: hey, I want to close out with this, Chris. I just took the mic from you. Sorry. So one thing we forgot to mention on the front of this is that you're a certified Ziegler legacy trainer, right? Yeah. As well as a John Maxwell certified trainer, speaker, coach. Those are really, really like important distinctions. So congratulations. Um, A big, a big part of probably what you share, I imagine is your story, right? Right. If I were to listen to your story, what is the moral of your story?
2: It really is. Anybody can do it. One of my one of my favourite Irish folk songs is called "Ordinary Man" by a guy called Christy Moore, and it's about being an ordinary man and and you know working for the man. Ironically, I became the man, right? That people work for, but I never dropped the ordinary piece. Like I'm I'm an ordinary dude, and and like my message is I absolutely believe if I can do it, anybody can do it like with with dedication, hard work, you know, and and just a refusal to lose. Um, Then and, you know, one of the things that probably prevented me from giving up on HVAC was the thoughts of losing just wasn't very appealing to me. So, you know, um, I I think if I can do it, anyone can do it, because I really from the bottom of my heart don't feel like I'm anything special. I think anybody can do it if they stick to it.
1: Thanks for asking that question, Paul. So you guys, you listeners heard this. Alan O'Neill, CEO, founder, Abacus, plumbing, heating, air conditioning, electrical, now water treatment, $55 million company is just an under proverbial ordinary guy. He's a plumber. That's what he tells you. But what he also tells you is he cares about his staff. He cares about customer service and he cares about growing. He's still competitive, but he's just a plumber. Just a plumber with a great work ethic, and I love that story. So thank you for, for sharing that. I'm going to finish this thing off real quick. And, Alan, thank you so much, man, for coming on and joining us and giving us an hour of your time. I understand what that's worth, and I appreciate that.
2: You're welcome, Chris.
1: I'm going to finish with this because I really wanted to do it at the beginning, but there's a couple of uh, of uh, Irish uh, Irish folklores. I just would like to get some clarification on Are you good with that?
2: I'm good with that. Go for it, Chris. Okay,
1: so first off – the leprechaun is it real?
2: <laughs> it depends on how many Guinnesses you've had, Chris. I can verify. I've seen a few of them after after several points of Guinness. <laughs> well, let's leave that one up in the air.
1: <laughs> so, rumor is it's just a uh, a bigger f- uh, fairy because fairies is kind of like a big thing in, in Ireland. Absolutely, it's an overgrown yeah. fairy. Uh, second is the shamrock. So the Celtic, uh, the Celt that was it. Is it the Celtic believed the number three was a sacred number, right? Is that what this, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but the value of the shamrocks because of their three heart-shaped leaves. So that's where this like, um, that I think this is where the uh, good luck piece came from. It is, it was considered good luck.
2: Yeah, so the, tram- the shamrock has, has three leaves on it, uh, Chris. So, you know, often uh, we see shamrocks and they've got four, it's a four leaf clover, right? right? So it's not the same thing. The shamrock is supposed to represent the holy the holy Trinity, Trinity the that's Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. Basically, that's what Irish Catholics believe, and and so it's a very important symbol in Ireland.
1: And and that's uh, was a Saint Patrick, like origination right type of thing from. Yes. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay, and and uh, I've only got uh, two more that are gonna be a little bit more fun. I feel like those are pretty normal. Um, the children of Lir, have you ever heard of that?
2: Yes, yes. Did
1: I say lure right?
2: Lure, you did, yeah, you did. So yeah. just
1: explain like in a nutshell what that is.
2: Chris, to be honest, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that in school when we were in like second grade or something, and, and I know it's Irish folklore. I honestly forget the story, it's ba- to be
1: honest. It's basically just about um, children who aren't very nice, aren't very, yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah, not very yeah. kind. And the last one would be the puka. Is this something real? the puka was a, is a figure from Irish folklore that was believed to bring either good or bad fortune, um, to rule or the Marine communities. Is this a thing? Like, was this a thing? I've
2: honestly never heard of that, Chris. Okay.
1: So then I say it's squashed. It's nothing. So listen, so to all of our Irish uh, men and women that are listening, uh, which by the way, we've got a decent little Ireland following listening to this. So, uh, um, don't worry about the puka. It's not real.
0: (laughs) Hey Chris, Yo. is uh is Carlos Cupid real?
1: Carlos Cupid is not real. Um Alan, you never heard of Carlos Cupid before, right? I didn't know. Of course not, because it's lame. And nobody else listening to this has ever heard of it either. So, Paul, thanks again for nothing. Appreciate you, buddy.
0: No, you're not going to give me context. That's fine.
1: Nope, right. zero context. We'll Don't Your daughter care. thinks about it. Nope, waste time. I appreciate you telling her about Carlos Cupid who doesn't exist, and now she expects to get something on uh, Valentine's Day like she does when the Tooth Fairy comes or when Santa Claus comes or the Easter Bunny. So, thanks for adding to that. I really appreciate you doing that.
0: She's expecting a lot, by the way.
1: Yeah, I'm no gonna pressure. make that up to you. Don't worry, listeners. Thank you so much for uh, for always tuning in. Um, this is a good one. Uh, another good one. I think that we've got it. We've had a pretty stellar lineup this year too, and, and literally we're just still, we're getting started. But Alan, it was really cool to kind of reconnect with you. This gave us an opportunity to uh, just, for you to share some of that story. Um, it's weird to think that it's it was nine years ago for you that um, you know that that's when the that was when I last even worked with you was nine years ago. It's that it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but I commend you my friend. And I'm anxious to see what you guys do in 2021. Um, I've been involved in a few little, those little conversations with Mr. Haynes. Um, but I'm anxious to see what you guys do in 2021. So again, I appreciate you very much for coming on. And, um, and if our listeners want to connect with you directly, let's say they there's something in here kind of tickled their fancy um, and they would like to ask any questions or need clarification on anything, are you okay with us sharing your contact information for them to connect with you or would you like us to connect them?
2: Sure. No, they can uh, they can reach out to me via email, Chris. Absolutely.
1: Perfect. Okay. Then we will share Alan's email address uh, in our post. So uh, Zach, who's listening to this, who does all that stuff, make sure you we have uh, Alan's email address correct in our post so they can reach out to him. Um, I want to share one quick thing on the exit and something we've been doing more is just uh, sharing reviews because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about is, you know, we, we are doing this podcast to help all those out there listening who are in the trades, just trying to make it happen. Um, no matter which position you're in, what place you're in, what industry you're in, doesn't matter. Um, it's trying to move your business forward. So... This is the purpose of doing that, and I love it. And Paul loves it when we get reviews back. Just no different than Alan loves it because if he gets a review back, that's a that's of all the hard work that's trickled down over the years of providing customer service and taking care of your people, uh, being good at your job. So I want to share this one, um, and this one is from, let's see, Brandon Powell.
0: Brandon in Charlotte.
1: Brandon Powell. Uh, the the uh, the topic is, or I guess the headline is, home services tips and tricks through a fire hose. Uh, Brandon, first off, don't let Michael E Gerber hear you say tips and tricks or he's going to light you up like he did oh, on our episode with him.
0: No, Brandon's a power listener and he's using parentheses around or quotation it. marks around so because he knows. It. Oh, so he he's
1: knows. actually saying it to bust my balls. Got it. Yes. Thanks exactly. Brandon. I appreciate you, man. Now I'm not reading a review. No, he gave us five stars. So that's great. Um, if it was one star, I'm going to read, if somebody ever gives us a it. one star, no, I'm going to read it and then we're going to call him on there. That's what we're going to do. Um, Chris and Paul at Rhino bring the goods each and every podcast. Seems like they have an endless supply of industry titans uh, like Mr. Alan O'Neill showing up each episode to share actionable pearls of wisdom. If you only have time to listen to one podcast each week, it's this one. Brandon, man, I appreciate that. That is a super thoughtful message, and it's exactly what we hope each listener or how they feel. And so, thank you for that, Alan and once Brandon. In, If
0: you're listening, you capitalized Rhino, which is our brand. So thank you for doing that. And if you're listening to this, I have um, an off or I have a a restaurant just steps away from my office right here. I will meet you for a Guinness when you listen
1: to this. Thank you. But he'll probably only drink like two sips. So just be ready for that, Brandon. (laughs) That's okay. Hey, Alan, any closing words, thoughts, anything for our listeners before we make the exit?
2: No, I enjoyed it, Chris. I think you said one thing about the Wrench Group, and I want to touch on it, is, you know, I was part of the consolidation in the late 90s, and, and now i been part of the Wrench Group's formation and, and existence. And, and the big difference is, I think, you know, the Wrench Group have done a great job of partnering with great people. And, and I think that's Ken's mantra, is he wants great leadership in great companies. And you know, I would consider everyone the leaders of those companies a great friend, and and it's just cool to be a part of. So I think there's a huge difference between consolidation today or acquisition today, and, and the way it was in the mid '90s when it was just a race to the top, right? And so and it turned out to be a race to the bottom, actually. But, <laughs> um, so so you know, I, I just it, it's a great group to be a part of, and and uh, I I fully enjoy. It.
1: Well. Keep on lifting up the industry as a whole. So I appreciate you you doing that. And, again, thanks for coming on. And, listeners, again, hopefully you uh, if you took notes or whatever, that you actually take some of these things and put them into action. And if uh, you need some help, you need some clarification, Alan opened up um, himself to to be helpful. And, listen, uh, if you are in the uh, M&A world and you're thinking about it or you don't know about it, you're curious about it, whatever, obviously we've got lots of uh, episodes talking about mergers and acquisitions with whether it be Ken Goodrich or Ken Haynes. Um, but listen, Alan knows a thing or two and he's opening up himself to you to ask questions. So if you have something, be sure to send him a message, but until next time listeners, thank you so much. We'll see ya.